Hello and welcome to Motorsport Mentality, the podcast that pauses for thought with the people driving the world's fastest sport. My name is Damien Meaden. My guest today is one of the star names in the British Touring Car Championship, having graduated there in 2018 with Honda after a stunning record in the junior categories, including titles in Formula Ford and the Porsche Carrera Cup GB. But it hasn't all been success in Champagne. In 2019, my guest today was on the receiving end of arguably the cruelest title decider in the modern era, when a brake failure a lap and a half from home deprived him of the BTCC title he so craved. This is a story about proper grit and determination, from the brink of having to leave the sport to a career at the very top of the national game. So this is Dan Kamish on Motorsport Mentality. Dan, welcome to the podcast. I'll start with the same opening question for you I ask all my guests. I've just introduced you as a racing driver, but if you take motorsport away and out of the equation, how would you describe Dan Kamish as a person? Oh, we're starting with a tough one. Um, that's an interesting question. I don't think I've been really asked that many times. Um, well, I think I'm a relatively good person, good friend, a good husband, I hope. Uh, enjoy spending time uh, outside of motor racing, mainly socially. I'm quite a social person. Um, you know, I, I don't. I quite like spending time with other people. Um, I kind of go a bit stir crazy on my own, so I like to get out and do things. Um, try to be fun. Try to bring fun to the room. Um, try. You would call. I guess it's the class clown kind of thing. Uh, if you're in school. Um, Trying to make other people smile has always been part of uh, something that I quite, kind of enjoy and, and try to do. Um, sometimes with varying degrees of success. But um, yeah, I think that that's probably sums me up, really. So let's wind it right back to sort of your earliest days in motorsport. I, I was doing some reading up on you to fill in some of the gaps. And I've seen you say that without your dad, you wouldn't have started. So how did it all begin? My dad was a big fan of motorsport growing up. but He... Um, he never really got a chance to have a go himself. About the time I was born, he um, he was having a bit of a go at karting, just with my uncle, only at kind of um, club events locally. Um, but it really was about the time that I was born, so that was never going to sort of last long, really. Um, you know, life kind of got going the way. Um, but he was a big fan of the sport and, and followed it from a young age. And then as soon as I was old enough to have a go, he couldn't wait to um, to let me have a go. So I first got into a car to eight, um, or even just before I turned eight, as, as many of them do these days. But the the, the strange bit, you know, the, the difference about about my time was that I actually got back out of it again. Um, not long after, really, I'd, I'd start, I'd, I'd, I'd done a fair bit of testing and I'd started to race. I don't know how many races in we were, um, but I just I just wasn't enjoying it. I didn't enjoy the the racing side at, at that young age. Um, I was all right on my own. I, I quite enjoyed driving around in, in circles, um, but I didn't particularly enjoy the racing. Uh, probably scared me a little bit back then. I, I you know I think it's fair to say. Um, so I got out of it and um, you know went off to do other things. Played football for a while, also not very well. I may add. Uh, but I was lucky enough to have another go. Uh, I think it was my 13th, I think it'll be my 13th birthday. Uh, we went karting and I must have remembered something because I was like, I think I lapped all my friends by a, a few times and really enjoyed myself. And uh, my dad said, would you like another go? And I said, yeah, I think I would actually. And I, no word of a lie, I think within about four days, there was a, another go-kart in the garage and he was outside tinkering. He could not He could not wait to get going again. Um, and yeah. 
that, yeah, and that was a long, you know, that I, I don't think I've missed a year since. You know, that was twenty years ago now. So um, that's that's how it started, really, and obviously it's been going ever since. So, do you look back at it now and find it almost, I guess, a little bit funny that you were? Uh you know, to use your word, maybe a bit frightened of the racing when you now race in British touring cars, where if the car comes back with a straight panel on it, you've almost not done it properly. Yeah, you know, it's a strange one, isn't it? I think at that age, you know, when you see what some of these kids are like at that age, they're so fearless and, um, you know, so competitive and, and incredibly talented. And like I say, on my own, I actually had a bit of, I was all right. I had a knack for, for, for driving the thing quite quickly, but, you know, I didn't I didn't really have that aggressive sort of streak in me at that age to off the start and things. And obviously didn't, you know, if you ever see any of kart uh, racing, particularly cadet racing, so at that young age, it's very pack orientated. It's a bit like touring cars. They drive round bumper to bumper for the whole race. So, uh, yeah. Obviously, something didn't quite gel with me at that age, but thankfully, I, you know, like I said, I got back into it, and um, and that kind of went away. And as you say, touring cars now couldn't be, you know, that that that's, you know, is what it is. It's it certainly is aggressive and, and close quarter racing, um, but it's interesting, isn't it, how people sort of view, um, you know, what frightens them or what intimidates them. When I went when I played football, I used to hate heading the ball when it used to come down from like a real height. I used to hate doing it. And, um, you know, my friends had all, like, throw their head in the way of anything. But I, I always felt like I don't want to do that, really. And um, obviously, then you go motor racing. And I've been hurt in a racing car, so I know how it feels. But, you know, a football will give me a bit of a sore head, whereas, you know, racing is dangerous and, and, and is still dangerous. And um, and it's far more dangerous than heading a football. But I don't, you know, mentally, I don't compute it that way. I always feel far safer in a racing car than I ever have doing other things, which is, I guess that just shows how how the brain works, really. Was was there a moment where you got over that fear of the racing side, or is it something that just naturally came to you with age? There wasn't like a click moment or anything? I don't remember any of that, that to be honest. I just, I just remember maybe just not quite enjoying it and... And maybe it was, um, like I say, just feeling a little bit intimidated, maybe on the starting grid and, and other things. And then in the races, like I say, um, just, yeah. And, and then, you know, the next time I wasn't, you know, maybe I, I was a bit older, matured a bit, um, a bit more confident. And um, obviously you start at the bottom anyway. So I was, I went to the local kart circuit, like I say, at, you know, 13, 14. And um sort of found my way from there really um you know i'm not saying it's all i've always had the most confidence you know behind the wheel but obviously you you grow in confidence the more competitive you become and and, and things change and obviously since then i've had a whole host of good people around me and and um you know psychological psychology training and all sorts of stuff to make me more complete and more successful over the years but no um certainly the second time around i felt much more comfortable uh, in the racing than i did the first so you had a very good karting career and then you moved on to single seaters. We'll talk a little bit about that chapter in your career. Now, I'm going to start with Formula Ford because for me, that's really when Dan Camish came on my radar, as I think it is for quite a few people as well. Look, 24 races, 24 wins. I have to ask, like, how is that possible? Like, what did you do that year to win every single race that you entered? Um, well, you see, that's the second time I actually did Formula Ford. So it, sh- it shows that, you know, that is, I think that is when I popped onto most people's radar. Uh, I think, and I think that probably, there's a number of reasons. One, from memory, I think we were on the Toka package at that point in 2013, uh, which obviously is, is uh, far more visible. Um, but 
you know, I actually did Formula Ford in 2009 and 2010 as well, when it was a, 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 also a British a British championship. Um, but we didn't support Toka back then, so probably a little bit less visible. But arguably, the grid was very, very strong. There were some really good people in it, um, most noticeably uh, Joseph Newgarden. Um, I don't know where he ended up, but I think he's been quite successful. Um, so there were some really good people in it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I had a good few years and I, I was doing well. But then in, in 2013, so I got injured in 2012 in Formula Renault uh, in the first round of Euro Cup. I had a, a fractured pelvis, which was a bit of a nightmare and put me out for the whole year. So I missed, uh, when I say I have not missed a year since, I did miss that year, really, for, for, for no fault of my own. Um, so in 2020, uh, 2013, I, I, we were looking for what to do next and... The Formula Ford had just gone to the new EcoBoost cars. It was the first year of slicks and wings for Formula Ford. It was kind of a departure from the old. And um, and yeah, we, we we chose to do it. We had a good relationship with JTR, Joe Tandy Racing. Um, a good relations, relationship with Nick Tandy. And um, we said, yeah, why not? Um, it wasn't a, a packed grid. I think there was maybe 13, 14 of us most, most weekends. But... Um, you know, it was a bit of a new start. And and I had, uh, engine-wise, we were with Mountune, who had a lot of experience with, with, with that engine and, and with EcoBoost in general. Um, and I just had a very competitive package, I think it's fair to say. You know, I think, ultimately, the package I was in was very good. I was also quite experienced at that point compared to some of those that, that raced around me. Um, Scott Malvin did the first round, and, and we had very similar experience. I think he'd been in cars maybe one year longer than me. And it was really, really close that weekend between me and him. Me and him. But he didn't do any of the rounds, uh, budget-related, I'm sure. But he ended up not doing any more. So the, the guys that were left were, were kind of a lot less experienced than I was. Um, combined the, with the fact that I had a very good car and where I was, yeah. You know, we went on to win 24 or 24, which... You know, looking back, you know, it was it, it, it was a great championship to be a part of, and I enjoyed it, but, you know, there's no... When you win that much, it does become a bit... The difficulty with it is is that it just becomes another win. So it, sometimes the wins actually were really difficult, and I drove my socks off some really good races that I, you know... You know, I only just won, but, you know, when it came to... Um, been discussed in, in autosport or wherever it might be to just say oh Dan Kamish wins again and it kind of lost its credibility and also the people you're racing against they start to lose theirs as well you know they start to say well who's he actually racing against you know and it's not it kind of becomes almost a negative when you win that much so uh, the reason I st- I actually got out of it there were there was 30 around 30 races that year but I only did 24 because I'd won the championship and it was like I said it was if anything I think the publicity was starting to turn and um and to say budget and things, we chose to stop. So, uh, what? What I think I remember actually looking back that towards the end, um, a few there's a there's a few sort of not 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 overly nice comments uh, on social media about whether or not you know the legality of it really, and um, and I remember thinking, of course it's of course we're legal. One, I race for a very respected team in Joe Tandy Racing, powered by Mountune, who obviously now power our Ford Focus in in Napa. All these are reputable people. There's, you know, everything's by the book. It's just, like I say, there's a number of factors behind it that made it up. But in 2015, when I went Porsche racing, I won 12 or 16 races in that as well. So, so that I think that helped me get the credibility I probably needed from 2013 when people went, "Oh, hang on a minute, 
maybe, maybe he's just quite good. <laughs> How much did that crash in Spain affect your ability to go up the single-seater ladder? Because Formula Renault Euro Cup, obviously a step above the stuff in the UK. Did Is it fair to say that maybe put a halt on where you might have gone to? Made you change route, go down sort of more of the... Because you, you did a year in Formula Ford, then on to GTs, Porsches. Is it fair to say that probably made you take a different step than you might have aimed for? Um, I don't think so, really. I think you know we were sort of scrabbling around at that point. It was it was it was a last minute opportunity to do Euro Cup with a team that was that had done um, a fair bit of British that I'd raced against that uh, the year before. Um, you know, we we didn't have any any sort of family money at that at really at that time. No, there was no real budget to go motor racing. We'd kind of expired a lot of our options by that point, and um, it was a last minute opportunity that came along, and I took it. Um, but as ever with certain opportunities like that, when they're not overly well funded and they're a bit last minute, you're not very well prepared, things inevitably go wrong. Um, and it, this time it, it ended in, in a, in a crash that, that, you know, put me out for the year. But then again, would I have been racing that year? I mean, it would have been really tough at that point to to continue on any grid. You know, we just started to say with, we were, we were struggling to come up with the funds to continue. Um, and even in 2014, you know, when I, like I say, I, I do think that my single seat career had kind of run its course at that point. Um, uh, you know, Formula Renault was about as far as I was ever going. I was only, I only did it in the UK, um, you know, thanks to Matt Burdette, who was really helped, helped us out with, with a great deal. You know, we were, we were running on a shoestring, uh, yeah, say a shoestring, it's of course, it's a subsequent, it's a, it's a sensible amount of money, but it was a, it was well under what, I don't know a fifth of probably what a budget is to actually to to win, you know, something like that, maybe even less. So we were we were a long way off what what the top guys were spending, and you know we were still successful. I think I had sort of four or five podiums that year, which uh, for a one car team against the likes of Fortec back then when they were a powerhouse with Oliver Rowland and um, Alex Lynn and people, I think was a really good effort. So. But yeah, I think that was about the end of my single seater career. Like I said, the only reason I came back in thirteen to do the the Ford thing was it was a again what what options are out there. Probably you know we did try and stick at the single seater stuff. I think that was partly my dad. I think he always wanted to to kind of go single seater racing, having grown up really watching Formula One and things. I don't think we knew much about the sort of GT and, and other parts of the sport really. We'd we'd kind of come up and started in Formula Fords and that's where we kind of knew and felt a bit more comfortable. Um, but there was an inevitability about it coming to an end eventually, as there is unfortunately for for most people that start out in single seaters these days. Well, one thing that Formula Ford title win did give you was your first test in a British touring car with Airwaves Racing, obviously that Ford tie-up. To sort of butcher the phrase, would you say it was love at first lap with that car? <laughs> um, it was certainly a cool experience, you know, and, and and they are, and and continue to be a very cool car and a and a cool setup. You know, when you look at, you know, just been there and part of the team um, back then was was an amazing opportunity. You know, the the touring car teams dwarf you know any of the sort of junior level teams that we have. You know, when you look at the you know the infrastructure the personnel everything it takes to even get one up and running these days you know this you are part of a uh, well when you've come from where i had it's certainly very cool to be plugging yourself into what was a top line british touring car so no it was a fairly enjoyable experience didn't embarrass myself uh, enjoyed it and we did look we you know we worked 
we worked quite hard actually in the off season to try and put something together to get me into the touring car the year after because um, you know with Motorbase there was the Ford connection. Um, I had just won twenty four races, um, and there was there was a conversation there, but it was unfortunately you know Ford have never been overly forthcoming with when it comes to to budget and helping um, helping drivers. So it just it was a bit well it wasn't a bit out of reach. It was a long way out of reach. Um, but yeah, you know, come full circle now, you know, having come back to, uh, Alliance racing as it is now, it's, um, you know, that was my first lap in a touring car and it continues to be my ride now, which is kind of nice. So what impression did that car make on you from the first time you drove it? Because it strikes me that you've had one test in it and then straight away, you're sort of really trying to push for a, for a seat in that championship the following year. So if you can just talk me through your sort of first thoughts and sensations when you first drove a British touring car. Well, as I say, aside, aside from sort of the team aspects, which obviously is, is, is huge comparable to anything I'd done before. Um, you know, you sort of do feel like you've made it a little bit when you when you sort of join a touring car team, just because just because it dwarfs everything else we really have at the, in, in this country, aside from obviously the big British GT teams. But um, yeah, you know, they're a great car. Um, I enjoyed my experience. It was a nice day at Snetterton. Um, dry. I think it was. I think I think we had to go in the dry from memory. Um, you know, they. they they corner well, they stop well, um, they feel well put together. They're, they're very bespoke. That that's something that stuck with me. And even now, you know, my new uh, my new touring car. You know, I sat in it when it was been built around me. You know, I remember been only a couple of years ago sitting there holding holding the gear lever in place while uh, our fabricator Royce, you know, welded it in place for exactly where I wanted to hold it you know it's a very bespoke championship in that way you know these they're not made on a production line they're they're made to to measure really and you know that I remember taking that away from it um they're not overly quick in a straight line I think that's fairly fair to say you know something like a Porsche is, is much quicker um around the lap and also in a straight line but the touring car does steer well and it certainly stops well you know we can throw the anchor out pretty late in the day um, the brakes are pretty phenomenal so um no i enjoyed the experience obviously and it is like i say it is the biggest thing we have you know having been on the tucker package at that point for a fair few years um you know if you're going to race in the uk if you're going to try and raise a budget as well to race in the uk i think the touring car championships about your best chance so I will come full circle and talk about your touring car debut, but I just want to touch on uh, on Porsche briefly. There was a bit of a running joke in the media centre for a couple of years around that time. And I remember we always used to say at the start of the year, we'll have a great year. And then at Silverstone, we all get to go and stand on that balcony at pit entry and clap Dan Camish because he's won the championship again. What was it? I mean, you mentioned 12 wins from 16. And you actually did that both 2015 and 16. So what was it about that car, that championship, that environment that allowed you to replicate that success you'd had in Formula Ford. Good question. Um, yeah, I did a year in 2014 in a in a, a 997 uh, GT4, so uh, I had a little bit of Porsche knowledge anyway. Um, but yeah, I think it. You know, from the moment I sat in it, I did I did one race at the end of 2014. That was the the shining light of 2014, and I had quite a tough year in British GT. I had a uh, with an amateur guy who was who was lovely, um, but we did lack a bit of pace overall compared to the others, and we didn't have a lot of success, if any. Um, but the dangle carrot of that year was always that Stuart Parker um, from from Team Parker had had promised to put me when uh, when he got the um, 
the Porsche uh, scholarship kind of car. There's all, that, but back then they were running basically every team had an opportunity to use uh, a Porsche car for for a weekend or two, and they could put in who they want. It was basically a guest entry, um, and I had it for the last round at Brands Hatch. Um, I put it on pole and, and won the race, and that's that was kind of how. That's when my career sort of started, really. Certainly, that 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 was the that was the turning point in everything for me. Um, but it, it, I think it just wanted to be driven how I wanted to drive. You know, I think it, there's a there's a knack to driving a Porsche. You know, the engines in the rear um, has a, has good mechanical grip. Don't have a lot of aero. Inherently, kind of has a bit of understeer built in. And if you can adapt to drive around that understeer, you will be quick. Um, and I think it wanted to be driven how I wanted to drive it. I, I understood that concept very quickly. Um, you know, how to make a V shape in the data, as, as we call it. And um, and it kind of just gelled. It just stuck. And, and I really enjoyed it. And um, and I think also I knew that I saw it as my opportunity. This is, this is my chance. You know, I've been waiting for a chance for a long time. And, and it had finally come. Uh, and I wasn't going to let it pass by. So, I've you know, at that time, I still am, but at that time I was certainly very driven and, and um and determined to, to 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 show and prove what i could do finally really are they frustrating those early years when you're trying to find your way because you've obviously got the ability the results speak for themselves you know you've applied yourself well to everything you've gone to you've had to come back from a broken pelvis at one point when you sort of reflect back on those years are they are they somebody trying to find their place within the sport yeah definitely i mean i sometimes you know I, it's easy to look back and 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 it's also easy sometimes to have a bit of a chip. You know, I'm a Yorkshireman, so I've got a chip on a shoulder anyway. Apparently, he knows people people joke. But, you know, I think it is, it's not easy because I think, you know, I, I did show promise from quite a young age. And when you look back at some of the stuff I did, um, I won't say it was entirely normal to be able to do that that early on. Um, but... You know, I didn't. I didn't get a lot of support early on. Certainly not from 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 the press and and, and the and journalists who, who did have a, have an input and 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 obviously do steer the narrative. You know, because I wasn't in the best teams and I wasn't winning every week, I kind of got a bit overlooked. Um, and then suddenly, when I do get in at one of the best teams and in the right car, I I don't stop winning. And and a lot of them said, oh, you just appeared. And it's like, not really. <laughs> I, was with, I, was, I, was, I was the same guy I was a few years ago, but unfortunately, motorsport is, you know, it's a lot of it, it's not only it's about the driver, but as we know, a lot of it is about the car that you're driving as well. And you can't, no matter how good you are, you can't make up for that. Um, so, yeah, so, the, you know, I think the real when I look back now, and obviously I'm going on mid thirties now, the, the the one thing I would change, and and I didn't know how to change it. Like I said, my, me and my dad, you know, we weren't racing people. He he'd never really done it himself, despite being a bit of a fan of it. I, I got out of karting too late. You know, I, if I did, if I could have my time again, I would try and get out a lot earlier because it gives you a lot more time to 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 get your opportunity. And you know, I I didn't sit in a car until I was twenty which is pretty crazy these days when you think a lot of F1 drivers are already <laughs> get to the, get to F1 under 20. You know, I, I was 20 just getting into the first level of single-seaters. So I was always on a bit of a path to nowhere in that respect. But what it does mean is that by the time I got kind of noticed and, and got some traction in my career and the help I needed, I was 25, 26. You know, I was already too old to be on a junior program or anything like that. And... Um, 
yeah, you know, that's a shame really because you can't, unfortunately, the time was never really on my side. So uh, that's one thing I'd definitely try and change and advice I'd give. Getting out of karting late meant that I was ready to be successful straight away. Like I didn't take a lot of time to get up to speed. I was actually on the, I mean, I qualified on the front row of my first ever car race. I was on pole for the second. So I, you know, I hit the ground running, but it meant that I was short on time um, to kind of get anywhere. Whereas, you know, the lad, some of the lad guys now, obviously, they come into Genetic Juniors or, um, you know, starting F4 at 15. I mean, they've done five years before I even started. And some of them are retiring before I even got a go, which is what I tell people, you know, you shouldn't, don't, don't give up on it because, you know, I speak to lads now that are looking at, you know, what the future might hold at 18, 19. And it's like, well, you still, I'm still a year off even starting and I'm now a touring car driver. So don't, don't think that you're not my, you know, you never know when your opportunity is going to come, you know. Sorry to interrupt myself, um, but I just want to talk a little bit about my involvement in motorsport, and that is through my business, Meaden PR. We provide a range of promotional services for championships, teams, drivers, partners, everybody across motorsport, and that includes things like press releases, social media management, graphic design, videography, websites, you name it, we can do it. If you're looking to level up your output in 2024, please do drop us a message on our social media channels and it'd be great to have a conversation. Anyway, back to the conversation you came for. So let's talk about your big opportunity, the move into BTCC with Team Dynamics. Is that something you'd been working on in the background whilst you were doing two, three years of Porsche or did the stars just align at the right time? Um, yeah, I think more, more the latter really. I mean, it wasn't, I was enjoying the stuff in Porsche. I was racing at a really high level in Super Cup. I was part of the best team in Super Cup with uh, Walter Lechner. And that's kind of where I intended on staying. Um, you know, I was I was on like a bit of a GT pathway. I was certainly hoping and looking towards becoming a, a future driver. Um, the point was, no matter how much, and it, this comes back to, you know, this, this, this it's not unusual. There's a lot of drivers out there that will tell you this. Unfortunately, you know, it's no matter how much successful I was, uh, the phone never really rang. Uh, in fact, it never rang um, with a GT opportunity. You know, no GT team's ever said, bloody hell, let's give this lad a go. If he's if he's if if he can win this much in a Porsche, maybe he's worth a shot. You know, I just didn't, I didn't really have the connections. The connection I did have was Tim Harvey, um, obviously now the, the touring car commentator and champion, uh, former champion. But all his connections were really in in the UK for, for for BTCC mainly. So I didn't really have the ear of any of the big GT teams. Um, so in 20, at the end of seventeen, I had the chance to stay with Lechner, and that was my plan: was to do another year of Super Cup, try and win, and then see see what would be around. But as I say, there was always this nagging feeling that maybe I'm never going to get this GT chance. A little bit because Porsche had already kind of a bit of background on that in twenty. When I won in 2015, Porsche, I won 12 races, like you said. Now, Porsche have a scholarship to become a junior, and pretty much every junior goes on to be a Porsche professional, and you know, most of the ones I raced again are now in the hypercar. So you're pretty much set to make a career at it. When I won, but the cutoff age is 24, and I won at 25, and I spoke to them and I said, look, like, surely I'm worth an exemption and they said no sorry like the rules are the rules and I remember that just left such a sour taste um, 
you know, that, you know, maybe I could have been the next Nick Tandy, but never got to show that because I was a year outside of the brackets. Um, and that always left me a bit disappointed. So that was in the back of my mind at the same time. Um, and then obviously, you know, Gordon was leaving Dynamics to go to Audi, uh, World Touring Car. And I, email, I, I, I sent Matt a message on Twitter. I've still, I, the message is still on there, actually. I saw it a while back. Um, I said, look, I don't know what the plan is, but I'd really like to have a conversation about it. And he wrote back very quickly saying, Dan, the position's pretty much filled. He said, but actually, you were quite high. You were actually really high on top of the list, but we were told that you were set to stay in Porsches, so we didn't we didn't really think any more of it, but you actually were one of the one of the higher choices. And I wrote back just saying, oh, that's a shame. It would have been nice to have a talk about it. I am pretty much set to go Porsche racing, but you know, if there was an opportunity to do something with you, it'd be worth talking about. Anyway, I didn't think out more of it really for a couple of weeks. And then he messaged me saying, look, it's not going quite as well as we'd hoped now um, with this potential new driver. Um, do you want to come and talk about it? And that's kind of where, where it went from. And you were talking about not having loads of family money to fall back on to go racing. British touring cars notoriously is not cheap. So in a short space of time, how did you go about piecing all of those different commercial aspects together? Because some drivers spend 12 months planning for the following year, but you strikes me here, you've probably not got a lot of time at all to scrabble something together for yourself. Oh, no. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was um, we sat with, I, I took uh, me, my dad and Tim, uh, who, who, Tim's never managed me, but he's a bit, but Tim was, a bit of context I think of people that don't know who might be listening where um, Tim looked after uh, one of my main sponsors he, he brought me the sponsor so I could compete in in Porsche racing and we had a good relationship um, he, he had he's advised me a lot but he never really wanted the management role he was he, you know he was um, doing other things but he came along obviously formally worked at Dynamics knew them well so he said I'll come along and, and basically fight your corner for you a little bit um, Obviously, I knew in dynamics that Gordon, Gordon was a professional, um, you know. So I knew there was space for negotiation when it came to what they wanted out of me. Um, they already knew a, bit of, you know, a lot about me; otherwise, they wouldn't have invited me. Um, certainly, nothing like being able to pay for a touring car drive. Otherwise, I would have done it years ago, <laughs> but I hadn't. So, you know, we had a budget in mind that we could potentially get to through pinching, scraping, saving. Um, doing everything we possibly could because we knew this was an opportunity that wasn't going to come around again, really. Um, you know, sponsors that I had had over the years, um, obviously we got on the phone to and, and pleaded and, and did everything we could. And, um, you know, we very much left it in, in Dynamics Court, really. You know, at the end of the day, it was, look, I think I might be able to do a very good job and, and pick up where Gordon left off in many ways. Um, but... You know, if you're looking for someone that can pay a very large bill, uh, it's never going to be me. So, you know, it's kind of in your court, really. And thankfully, they came back and said, "Look, you know, we want we want to go with you and see what the future brings." So, um, so that that was great. That's how it started. And then, you know, I re-signed in 2019 on different terms um, that, that that pretty much made me a professional racing driver. So, so that was that was good. It was the right choice, as I say. You know, I, I signed my first contracts professional contract really you know to join dynamics you know which was back then the honda factory team and have everything that goes along with that was was an amazing opportunity so i you know it's a bit of a change in direction as you say from the gt stuff but i think looking back it was probably the right one you know certainly sitting here as a 
going into my third year in Napa, you know, this will be my, what, going into my sixth season of touring car racing. You know, I didn't think I'd get one, let alone six. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot to be thankful for when it comes to that. And you've joined the grid with Matt Neal as your teammate. People who listen to this podcast will have heard Matt's episode maybe before as well. He is, you know, a living legend of touring car racing. You've got no better person to have alongside you for your big break into the championship. What did you learn from Matt Neal? Oh, just about everything I would say in terms of uh, you know in 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 those those early days. I mean, he was he is a good friend and and genuinely great guy. And I think you know he he sometimes there were times when um, you know we were really often quite similar on pace. Um, you know, Matt did a fair amount of maybe what you call the development as, as he would because you know he, he obviously had the experience and I was just learning. Um, we actually drove quite similar, which was great. So the setups were quite transferable. And I was just a bit like a sponge, really. I'd just learn as much as I possibly could, um, and then try and you know try and drive the wheels off the thing. Um, but Matt would, you know, I'm sure there were more than one, two occasions where he would actively kind of put himself in a bad situation to make sure I was in a better one. You know, whether that would be protecting me in the race, whether that would be not overtaking me when he probably should have done or whatever it might be you know he was the best teammate possible because he always pushed me forward sometimes at his own detriment um certainly in those last that last year or two when I was sort of in a position to potentially win the championship you know he would really focus on me which was I say you know there's kind of the best teammate you could wish for but um you know he, he was great um a lot of good memories um we had a lot of fun off the track as well which was obviously important and enjoyable he introduced me to things that i'd never never really done before like you know going to goodwood and things like that um yeah we had a, we had a great few years together a lot of drivers speak about this etiquette in touring car racing these sort of unspoken rules the can and can nots because it is a very specific type of racing can you maybe give people a little bit of an insight into what you can and can't do in touring car racing that they wouldn't see for example in formula one because there's a lot of things in touring cars that are settled on track that in Formula One there's a court case. <laughs> Honestly, you know what? I think that's uh, it's quite difficult to answer because, I mean, we have a bit of a driver's group now, uh, which has been started for a couple of years now, um, where we all meet mainly on a Friday before the race and we discuss a few things, whether that's track-related, touring car-related. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, issues that we have with each other that we think just need to be a bit aired. The problem is we all sit and smile at each other and say one thing and then do exactly the opposite when we get on track. So it's, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, the, 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 the it, it, I think over the last few years, I think it's fair to say that it probably has become, it's not quite what it was, you know, the whole bump and run and, and some of the, some of the, some of the stuff you used to get away with and was a taken for granted is screened out now. You know, we don't, it, we try and keep it, um, Certain things do get handled on track, don't get me wrong. And and if someone gives you a bit of a shove, you know, you're more than likely to give them it back. But they know it's coming. But we also have to abide by the rules. And the the rules are such now that, you know, that like I said, the bump and run thing's kind of done with. You know, you've got you can address it yourself and give it back, or ultimately they're gonna you're gonna get penalized. So we are trying to tidy it up as best we can. What happens is and, and I think what, what gives touring cars sometimes a bit of a bad name, certainly the drivers. The, the championship is so incredibly close, like one second front to back between 28 cars. Inevitably, we all want the same piece of track all the time. <laughs> and sometimes we can't help but just fall over each other. It, it's not because we're bad drivers. It's not because we don't know what we're doing. And it's certainly not done for show. It's just the, the truth is, is that when you've got that many cars in such a short space, 
all lapping so closely, um, inevitably things happen. Um, and, 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 you know, I think sometimes, you know, it looks like we, you know, incompetent at times and it's just like that's just not the case it's just literally the the design and the championship details are such that the cars are so incredibly matched evenly matched that these things happen as much as we try and avoid them um it's kind of inevitable so i'd like to talk about one of the most significant moments in your career which is brands in 2019 just to give a bit of context to people who maybe don't follow touring cars you were a lap and a half away from you know deservedly winning the championship and then a very rare brake failure takes you out of the race in a situation like that the emotions are always very complex right you're never feeling just one thing but is there one thing that sort of sticks out to you and you reflect on what happened that day um i remember being probably in shock i don't think i've ever really been in shock before you know i've never i'll be honest but i i think that was um because i didn't really react at all i just I remember just kind of coming back to the team and everyone but in floods of tears and um, and kind of just saying it's okay, like we'll get another chance. It is what like don't worry about it. Um, everything's you know it's going to be okay, sort of thing. And basically holding it together remarkably well. Um, I think it was only it was only really um, uh, my now wife at the time, Libby, was flight. She she works at Formula E, so she was on flying away the next day. Um, on the Monday morning and um, we stayed in a hotel that night and we had dinner with the team and, and again like it was very somber like everyone was just sort of chatting and quite clearly it wasn't the mood that we hoped for but um, it was the next morning when she left for work I think I just burst out crying and just yeah had a bit of a meltdown then so um, yeah I think I was just in a bit of shock really at the end of the day like, I never expected to be in a position to win that day you know I think I qualified 12 Colin was like on the front row I think at that point uh, I was sort of, I don't know, I can't remember how many points I started that weekend off the lead, 15 maybe. Um, obviously, you know, the weather can do strange things and, um, you know, it rained and I, I won the race on on slicks. Um, Matt finished second on wets, which was in itself bizarre, it was strange, the first race of the weekend. And it was an amazing race. You know, I, I look back as one of my fondest memories, race one. But for me to win on slicks, Matt to win on wets, um what I thought, you know, it was an, a great moment for for the team. We had we we were totally buoyed by that. Obviously, race two, I'm you know um, now in a position to to win the championship. Colin gets spanned round at the turn one, which people probably know what happened, but it was Matt that that ultimately knocked him round. I mean, there was so much bloody talk of that being set up. I mean, I don't know how you possibly set up off the start line to get anywhere near Colin. Bearing in mind he's in, you know, you, you couldn't you couldn't manufacture it so well. The truth is, Colin left the door open, uh, and he did leave the door open. You know, there's a, there's a gap. You go for it, especially when you won the race away from Bintorin Car Champion, and you've got a chance to help. You know, he left the door open, and Matt drove into it. Um, Colin tried to shut the door too a bit too late, and obviously span round. Matt would have kicked himself twice as hard if he hadn't have gone for that gap, because why wouldn't he I would have done the same and, and Colin would be lying if he said that he wouldn't have done the same on me had the roles been reversed because that's just the job um, so yeah and now obviously I go on to finish third I think and I've got a chance to win so it all kind of happened very quickly I remember being very calm before race three almost like an air of calm came over everyone including myself which you wouldn't expect really but I had been in this position before you know I've, I've won four national championships um, you know 
three in Porsches and one in in Formula Ford. So I know how to win a championship. I know how to deal with the pressure and get it over the line. And um, I thought I can do this at the end of the day. You know, it's just another race. Let's let we can do this. Stay out of trouble. Finish sensible somewhere in the middle. We'll be absolutely fine. Um, obviously, as it transpired, that's not what happened. Um, I ended up in trouble. So we'd gone from a wet race two to a dry race three. And I remember on about, it must have been early, maybe lap three or four, reporting to the team that the brakes have come, are going. Like they're completely shot basically at this point. And um, I couldn't recover them. So basically, like the touring cars do suffer from brake fade. We suffer from it notoriously bad at Alton Park. All the cars do. And that's why you'll see sometimes in a straight line, you'll see the brake lights flash. It's not that we're pressing the brake hard, it's just that we're probably pumping the pedal up. Well, we are pumping the pedal up, so we get a firm pedal when we hit it. Um, so usually what happens is the brake starts to go along. You can pump it up to bring it back, or you just go a bit easier on it. You know, try and try to get out of the out, out of the try and get some clear air. Try and pull out from the car in front. Give the brakes a bit of a chance to recover. I couldn't. Mine would not recover. Um, and you can see quite clearly from the footage that the brake discs from the start of the straight to the end, even when I'm obviously not pressing the brake, they just glow red hot. They Usually what you'll see is that they'll glow hot and then that glow will fade as, as you get to the end of the straight and then it'll glow again as you hit the brake. Mine were glowing absolutely golden from all the length of the straight. They just weren't cooling down at all. Um, so we had a problem, didn't we, basically? Um, and yeah, I just couldn't get it home. I remember trying desperately to break less coast um you know just anything i could get out of the way the car in front just whatever i could do i tried but the problem was is that i couldn't drop that far back either like colin was on a mission as he would be and he had all the speed in the world that that afternoon and he was coming from the back to the front as fast as he could and i think you know at the time i don't think as a team we could do the maths quick enough of where i could end up um I think I was running about 8th at the time, which was safe, and maybe I could have dropped to 10th, but I don't think I could have been much further back. Not at the rate Colin was going, because I think he ended up about 5th. So I still had to finish somewhere, and obviously at this point, I'm practically coasting around most of the lap. And um, and yeah, you know, they ultimately failed. Pressed the brake absolutely to the floor, zero, and that's it, dream over. Which was a shame, Um because it was the only race all year that I didn't score a point. Um, but looking back, I mean, the truth is, did I deserve the championship? I think for different reasons, maybe you could say than what Colin would. You know, I wasn't the fastest guy. We didn't have the fastest package, but we were bloody competitive every race. I think I had 14 podiums that year. So, you know, one in two attempts, I'm on the podium um, that season. Um we had a great year for lots of different reasons. Um, and I think I would have been a, a deserving champion for that reason. But it just that's just not how it, how it transpired. I mean, what <clears throat> the truth is, is that the BMWs were a bit of a class above that year, really. They, they, they won the majority of the races at the start of the year. And then I think they got slightly pegged back, which helped. But they were still the strongest package. You know, they could afford to have incidents and problems and make up the points, whereas I needed every single point to to be um to be calling that year or, or to be 
um, Andrew Jordan, who, who also um, only just missed out. Like, I couldn't afford any reliability problem, not not at any point. If I'd have had anything happen earlier in the year, I still wouldn't have won. So we really needed every point possible, and obviously we just just wasn't wasn't uh, possible to do. So, yeah, it was super disappointing, and there's no doubt it's left a bit of a mark on on me as a person. You know, not many. It's not often you come so close to being winning the ultimate prize and get it taken off you by a failure that's out of your control. You know, I'd, had, I'd done everything right. I'd defended and looked after my position, and like you said, with a one and a half laps to go, I had Adam Morgan behind me, who I know well. He's no idiot. You know, the race was set at that point. No one was doing anything silly because no one wants to be the guy that ends uh, the championship like that. So all I had to do was trundle around, really, and unfortunately I didn't make it. So, yeah, disappointing. But, you know, I've had other opportunities since, and I hope that I'll get other opportunities in the future. It's funny you say that shock is the main emotion you have because I was in the media centre that day. It was I started out as a journalist covering touring cars, and I... I remember the exact moment the camera cut to your car in the barrier at Hawthorne. And I remember there's obviously that initial sort of like exclamation of shock from everybody. And then I just remember silence, just eerie silence. Nobody knew what to say. Nobody, I don't think, wanted to say anything. Yeah, I guess weird to me that that was mirrored to you in the car. When, when you get back to the pits, you were saying people were chatting to you. Who's the first one to break ranks and speak to you? Because nobody in the media centre would have known what to say. I can't imagine anybody close to it in the team who's hurting as well would know what to say to either. I don't think anyone really knew what, what to do or what to say. Or I think we were all just a little bit, just obviously we'd just gone from, you know, with a lap to go, the team's thinking of getting on the wall to celebrate. You know, we'd gone from that kind of elation to where you think we've got, we're going to win this, to um, to being down and out. So, uh, no, I think everyone was in a bit of shock. Um I think I think Matt came over and just gave me a hug. I think Barry Plowman did the same. I think we were all ultimately, you know, that it was a failure of, of some description. You know, there's nothing. I've racked my brain for years on after that, thinking what could I have done differently. But when you you, you know when the brakes are at that, you know, I've suffered brake um, problems many times since and many times before, but never had failure. Like I said, you can usually recover the situation to such a point that you can limp home. You know, the, the, these not only, you know, the, the, these failed badly. So, um, you know, what, what, what? I say, I, I wish I could go back and change it. I'll just, I don't know. I don't know how I'd do it. Like I said, the problem is that I couldn't. If, if I could have finished, if I could have finished like fifteenth, I might have had a chance because I could have. If there was a massive gap behind, I could have done the last lap without maybe breaking it all. <laughs> but I couldn't because. I had to finish high enough up that Colin didn't steal enough points off me. So I was still, I had to keep going at a reasonable pace. So it, it was almost impossible to manage. It couldn't be done. It wasn't done. Um, and yeah, the team was obviously absolutely gutted. Um, nothing nothing else can be said really, mate. Well, my, my next question was going to be, how long did it take you to process it? But I'm going to rephrase it. Are you still processing it to a degree today, do you think? <laughs> I think I'm. I don't think processing it. I think I think the. I think there's every now and again it, it it dawns on me. It comes back to me. I have a bit of a you know just doing my own business and and sometimes you do so. I just think wow, like that was that you know you know to be to be robbed of something so close to it you know hurts hurts a lot. You know I think it was what people don't see is the years that you know that I've been racing a long time up to that point. 
you know the years of hard work to get there and I sh I was about to win the the biggest prize we have in my second attempt um you know that 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 takes some doing um and and I didn't get that I didn't get that I didn't I didn't get that moment at the end you know when you see you know whoever it might be um you know they stand on top of the car you know the fireworks go off you know that I was not not just me that was taken from my family my friends you know people everyone that supported me over the years missed out on that um and that hurts to think about that we were that close to it and 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 also how hard it is to win you need so much not only do you need to be quick and competitive all year but you need a lot of luck as well um you don't know when you're going to get the opportunity again for the stars to align in such a way to give you that chance um you know you'll matt neil did it for 30 years won it three times jason you know done it about the same won it won it a few it, it, it's notoriously difficult to win so to get so close and then have it taken away through no fault of your own, it was not easy to, to kind of com, com, compute. The other problem I had was that no one could tell me why. And I think that when you've got no closure to something, that's also a bit you know tough because if they could have turned around and said, Dan, you did this, or we could point to an exact point where something went wrong and why, at least you can kind of like compartmentalise it and move on. But when it's just like left as it was a failure, well, what failed? Well, we know the brake seals failed. Why? We don't know why. You kind of like, bloody hell, like, <laughs> you know, one lap when what, what, how, how bad luck is that? You know what I mean? Um, it's hard to get your head around a little bit. So, so yeah, there's no doubt it's kind of stuck with me. And I think it has left a little bit of a mark on, on me, but, um, you know, I'm still very thankful I get to do what I love. I'm still a touring car driver. I do remind myself that nothing would have changed. And I do mean that nothing would have changed. I would have had, in the history books, it would have said Dan Camish, touring car champion, um, which would have been nice. But I'd still be sat here talking to you in this house, and I'd still be racing for Napa. Um, there wasn't like a big pot of gold at the end. There was nothing like that. It was just it would have been personal satisfaction that I set out and achieved something that not many people do, and that would have been great. Um, as it happens, you know, no distress to, to Colin. You know, there's a lot of people out there that say, well, Dan, actually, you know, in our eyes, you you, you were deserving champion. And and I don't think, because I didn't win it by a lap, don't mean that I wasn't good enough to do so. So um, I think in the eyes of a lot of the fans, you know, I was I, I came very close on another day I would have been. So, um, you know, like I say, I've got that to be thankful for. I've got one more question on it and then we'll move on because there's other stuff a lot closer to today I want to ask you about as well. But has what happened that day taken pressure off you? You mentioned about a lot of people think in your eyes you were deserving champion that year. Um, you know, you've shown that you can do it. You were within one lap and had a freak failure. Or has it added a bit of pressure in a different way? Because like now you know you should have that next to your name. You know, there should be D Camish engraved on that trophy. So is there maybe a little bit of extra pressure in a way now because you want to go out there and, and right that wrong a little bit? Um... I don't know if it's pressure. I won't say it's pressure, but I think it's, yeah, you know, usually when, when you've won anything once, the kind of, the, the pressure is off, isn't it? You know, you've kind of, you've done it, you've achieved it, and quite often you're better. You, you're, you're better after that in some ways because the pressure's been lifted and like you said, you've achieved it, you've done it, and therefore you can do it again. So there is that. Um, I, I won't say, I think, I think the only thing with me is that it, it's, 
you know, I am driven and I'm, and I'm driven to, to right that wrong, I guess, in a way. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm quite realistic though. And I think I'm quite level-headed in the fact that as I have always been with my motor racing career is that I know how difficult it is to get to that point. It's 30 races of a long year that ultimately get you to where you want to be. And it's very, very difficult to put yourself in that position every year. Um, if I have time on my side, you know, I will get that chance again. And I know that, you know, every precaution and everything we can do will be will be done to make sure. It's like anything you learn. You know, we, we all learn from, from things that happen. I've learned a lot from that about myself and, and other things. So, no, I don't think there's any extra pressure as such. Like I say, I think um, it's just one of those things. You know, I, I, nowadays, it's, uh, like I say, I'm, I, I remind myself that ultimately things wouldn't have changed and... I'd still be here going for going for the next one as as, as Ash is you know he's won four and he wants a fifth so you know nothing nothing would have changed in that respect well look, let's wind it forward to the present day then so you're coming into 2024 with Napa Racing UK you know put simply you guys come into this year as the marker board for the rest of the field right after the the year that you had in 23 can you break down for me what it is that this team is doing so well at the moment? Like, if you break it down to the nuts and bolts, the preparation, how you go about your racing, what is it that is giving you the edge over, you know, some world-class teams? WSR, for example, you were talking about Colin earlier as, as another example. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like anything, it's, it's not just one thing. You know, I think the team from, you know, from when I arrived in, um, you know, 22 has become, it's a very different entity Alliance Racing, um, the motor base was, you know, we have Pete Osborne at the helm, um, who's very successful in his own right, um, with his own business. Alliance is now able to run, I think, less as a business and more more like, you know, a successful race team of old. You know, it's, you know we have a great sponsor in Napa who have been brilliant. Um, the budget there, the manpower's there, the technical minds are there and they're a little bit more so than they have been in recent years thanks to Napa and other partners is they're a little bit more off, off the leash now you know we can we can push the boundaries of, of what we want to develop and what we want to do um, and also driver wise the the innate the, the opportunity to pick the drivers you know I'm I'm there uh, Ashy's there you know Dan Sam you know when at least two of us and Dan to an extent now, I think, you know, he's, if, you know, people can say that Dan, Dan Kenwick had to clean. That's not, that's not a hidden uh, fact. And he won't, don't mind anyone's knowing that he, he, he is a brand ambassador for Cataclean. But as, as the team have always approached it, you know, that's not the reason he's in the team. And if, if Cataclean decides to do something different, it doesn't mean that Dan doesn't get to stay because that's, the, the you know the money is there to help so i think i think the fact that we get to choose who drives that that makes us a team you know there's a reason that you'll see us playing a team game and that's because we work for alliance and we we work for napa um whereas other teams as much as they're a team they're also individuals and they can't make that call because they're all potentially got their own vested interests and and things like that whereas we don't we are a unified team um which gives us a, a bit of a leg up actually certainly in you know definitely in the teams the drivers and 
and, and, and in the manufacturers because we, we're not trying to take points off each other. Quite often we're supporting each other. Um, so you combine that element of it with the work that goes on in the background when it comes to the, the, the car, the team, the, the investment in the infrastructure. And, you know, you've got a recipe for a bit of success. What's it like being teammates with Ash Sutton at the moment? Because I suppose in a way it's a blessing and a curse. I guess the blessing is you have access to the data, you get to watch firsthand how he's operating at the moment. I guess the flip side of that, though, the curse is that he's in exactly the same car as you. So there's probably a degree of why why am I not doing that? So just talk me through that dynamic over the last year or so. Yeah, yeah, you know, we we love him and hate him in the same at the same time. Um, no, you know, Ash is great. You know, I have a good, a really good relationship with Ash, both on and off off the circuit. Um, he's incredibly fast. Um, in fact, he's incredibly well rounded as a racing driver. There's not really an element of his game that you'd say you can exploit because he's pretty much top in all of it. You know, he might just be the best touring car driver we've had in a long time. Um, and I think ultimately probably is the best we have right now on the grid as a, as a you know, he, he's what happens a little bit <clears throat> like anything when you're as successful as Ash has been is that the, the momentum that he carries and the, the pressure that he doesn't have to perform is such that he, he basically, he's in such a good place now as a driver um, with a great group of people around him and he's incredibly tough to beat. You know, he will be really, really hard to beat this year for anyone, let alone those of us that are in the team with him. Um, but all we can do is keep working. You know, I work closely with my engineers, with the people around me, um, with, with the team, you know, family, whatever it might be, uh, trainers, psychologists, all the kind of things that make professional sport tick to try and find a find my own edge and to fight back. Um you know, of course, yes, I get to see the data and, and other things from Ash, but just because I can see the data doesn't mean that I can go out there and do it. You know, the, that comes down to understanding more of what we need from the car to to, to help me. You know, um, the, the car for me has never, re- I've never really felt maybe quite as in tune with this one as I have maybe as I have in the past. And it's not that we can't get back to that. It's just understanding what we need to change to give it to me. Um and Dan Robottom's going through exactly the same thing. You know, he's he, he he's very accomplished in his own right, and and there will be a car in there that that allows him to operate at his best. I think both of us are just we're just sometimes it, it happens. You do see it. You know, Croft, for example. Um, you know, I I qualified and, and 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 won the first race. You know, I, I was on pole at, at Brands. I won two races at Donington. Like there are flashes of 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 that. I won't be able to do it at all if I didn't know how to do it. But we just struggle to kind of do it week in week out, and that's where Ash and and, and Tony, his engineer, seem to just have a little bit of an edge on on the others. Um, that they can just pull it out in week in week out, whereas we're a little bit more sporadic. Um, and that's obviously something like you said. Twenty twenty four will be stronger. I really do think we will, because I think. One thing that I've had and, and Dan and what maybe Ash hasn't, which has helped, is that he's new to the car but not new to his engineer. They go back quite a long way now. So they they know what each other's thinking before it's even said. I've got a new relationship with a new engineer starting in 22 and we've gone through a lot of what doesn't work. <laughs> but that means that I do feel that this year we are, gonna, we are finally going to hit the nail on what does. You know, I think... 
we've we've been learning and working and understanding and going down the wrong avenue and coming back and we've done all that now like we've we've done so much learning i think that i'm not saying there's a title in there like i said because it's so difficult but i for sure think you'll see me being more competitive more of the time and with less of the problems you know i've I've, I've had two years of some very strange things um you know from the fire in year one which no one could predict to a brake failure, uh, and we talked a lot about brake failure for different reasons, but the, the, them two couldn't be more different. The one I had it last year at Donington, the brake pedal went absolutely solid. Absolute, it could not be pressed. It was like it was like pressing a brick wall. It was just solid because um, a valve in the in the in the line lock had failed. So um, no one could predict that was going to happen. So I hope we're past a few of those bits, and I can have a much more complete season. Are you in the best place you've ever been now to win the championship? If everything comes together, I think that's tough to say because maybe it's a little bit like I said at Dynamics, where I was pushed forward into every opportunity, and I very much kind of felt like I kind of was de facto number one. I don't think Matt minded that. Um, just from where we were in our careers, um, you know, I was the one with an opportunity to win, and therefore he gave me every chance. The team gave me every chance. There was only two of us and only one of us was going to do it. You know, I think now with, with Napa, you know, we're four drivers. Um, Sam's got his own battle on this year, trying to win the Jack Sears, and, and you know, I, I hope he does. Um, but for me, Dan and Ash, um, we're all given every opportunity. We're all given equal chance. Um, but it's it's not it's not... It's not like I've got more of an opportunity than anybody else, you know, like I say. So if you look at maybe some of the other teams... Um, certainly like Ingram, for example, um, he's kind of de facto out-and-out out number one. Um, West Surrey, kind of no longer. They used to have, maybe, you could say Colin, but obviously Jake's kind of changed that in recent years. You know, they, they're a very strong pairing, um, which is why I, you know, I was very proud of, of the job we did this year to win the manufacturers because, you know, to beat Colin and Jake um, man for man was, was, was great. So proud of that one um there's no doubt i've got a good opportunity is it my best opportunity no i don't think it's any better than what i had back then um in in the years of the dynamics but certainly it's good it's a very good opportunity and like i say one that i hope to explore and you know my plan is to be as successful as i can be and and hopefully put myself in that shake up at the end you know usually at Silverstone when we come to the second to last round they're doing like the driver shoots for who's going to be in the final mix and you want to make sure that you're taking your picture because you want to if you're in with a chance then anything can happen um I think I think we know that that's true yeah if you see Jacob Ebry at Silverstone in in uh late September or you've done all right you've done all right we always end with quickfire questions on this podcast, but before we do, there's a little bit of a tradition, and that's that we always get the guests to ask a final question to the listeners so they can go away today and have a little bit of self-analysis, question what they're they're up to in their lives, maybe how they can be a bit happier or a bit more fulfilled tomorrow. So, Dan Kamish, what question would you tell people to go away ringing in their ears with later today and have a bit of a ponder, maybe over their favourite cup of Yorkshire tea? <laughs> well, yeah, it better be Yorkshire tea. Um... So that's a that's a very a very good question again. You know, you could have you could have you could have told me some of these were coming up. You know, I would have been more prepared. I don't know. I mean, I've I've certainly spent a lot of time uh, 
you know, like, so, you know, for my last few years, but really early in my career, I spent quite a bit of time with a sports psychologist. I still work with them, and I would never do not underestimate the power of the mind. I think anyone who anyone who thinks it can't be done should go away and, and research that a little bit because I think you'll find that quite often. If you keep telling yourself it can't be done subconsciously, uh, you're right, it can't. But there's a lot of the power of self-belief and not just saying I'm, I can do this, therefore I can't because that's not true. But I think allowing yourself to um, to believe and, and to keep working towards something, you'll be surprised. Like I, My big break came at the point when I was probably at my lowest. You know, I didn't know a way to carry on motor racing in 20, at the end of 14. Um, you know, I remember being sat with my dad talking about the fact that this was probably the end, only for me to win win one race when one particular person is watching who changed my whole career, and that's that's fair. You know, Tim Harvey giving me the opportunity did change my whole career. That's the reason I'm sat here talking to you. So, but I could have turned up to that race thinking, oh, what's the point anyway? Because it's all over anyway after this. But I didn't. I turned up determined that for one last time, I'm going to show people what I can do. And here we are. So I think keeping that sort of positive mindset, um, never you never know when your opportunity is going to come around the next corner. So that's what I would tell people, and that's certainly what I try and tell the, the younger lot when if they ever speak to me or want a bit of advice, and, and I, I meet younger guys um, that are trying to come up through the ranks. You got to stick at it because the amount of people I started with and retired a long time ago, not because they are any better or worse or indifferent just I kind of had I kind of always believed that my chance was coming around the next corner and eventually it did that little extra bit of tenacity I like it right we'll end with our six quick fire questions Dan Kamish are you ready go for it who has had the greatest influence on your career I think I know the answer to this one already uh probably my dad and Tim Harvey I would put yeah I was gonna it was a 50 50 split so you've gone both uh what lesson in your life took you the longest to learn um, God, I have no idea. Lesson in life that took longest to learn. Don't know. Pass. If you could change one thing about motorsport, what would you change? I'd make it more meritocratic. I'd have a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> What's your biggest fear in life? I guess losing my wife would be a, a big fear. Um, and, and, and death, I guess. <laughs> I don't I don't, I don't fancy either of those, to be honest. No, no, I don't think anybody does. Um, what skill would you still like to learn away from racing? We spoke about this last night. I would, I, I wish going back that I would have in school, I would have learned a language or learn to play an instrument. And uh, I was thinking the other day, maybe I should actually try. Which language or instrument would you go for? I often thought I should have learned German because obviously I was racing for a Porsche a long time ago. But now I don't know, maybe Italian. Just. You know, just like Italy, really. I like the food, I like the culture. So maybe Italian. And, I don't know, maybe the drums or something. I think if the British Touring Car Championship was a musical instrument, it would be the drums. So I think that's pretty um, yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. And last one, what has your life in motorsport given you? Um, it's given me no end of enjoyment and friends and just yeah the the best times that I wouldn't change for anything in the world um it was a different path growing up you know I spent a lot of time at a race circuit I didn't do some of the normal things but I wouldn't swap any of it um I've met some amazing people and um and yeah you know it's been my life and I'm very proud of that um kind of a sense of purpose I guess from a young age of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve and uh, and yeah 
I've, I've loved every minute of it and uh, long may it continue. Dan, thank you so much for your time and for this conversation. You know, when we started up this podcast halfway through last year, I was chatting to Matt, my producer, and you were one of the first guests I said we wanted to get on. So really appreciate it. Wish you all the best for 2024 with Napa Racing UK. And um, let's hope that British Touring Car title is not too far away. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Another conversation in the bag and what a chat that was with Dan Kamish. Just such a determined, resilient character. And I'm not just talking about Brands Hatch and everything that happened later in his career, but even just finding the the motivation to keep going every year when there was no budget there before he got his big break. And I think that lesson he mentioned to young drivers about if you haven't made it by 20, just keep going because I didn't make it till I was 26. I think that's such an important thing for people to hear as well as they're coming through the ranks. So fantastic chat with Dan. Thank you for his time. And uh, I'm sure we're all going to wish him the very best of luck with Napa Racing UK and the British Touring Car Championship again this year. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can really help us to grow it and to keep things moving in the right direction. If you could drop us a follow, a subscribe, a like on whatever audio platform you're following us on. And if there's the option to just to give it a five star rating, it's really helpful for us in the long run. And it means we can keep doing this and keep bringing you those conversations. Until the next time, my name is Damien Meaden and I'll speak to you then.